Welcome to another inspirational teaching from the Neighborhood Church. We pray that you be blessed by it. Church is it. Just as Christ also does the church. Because we are members of his body. This morning, I want you to understand you are a member of his body. You're a Christian. You are a member of his body. And Jesus deeply cherishes you. Jesus deeply cherishes you. You matter deeply to Jesus. Almighty Creator, Holy God, the Extraordinary One cherishes you. Verse 32 says, this is a mystery. It's a great mystery. Speaking about Christ and his church. Sometimes we just rush through our, our Christian convictions and Christian exercises, and we don't stop and think enough. I want you to think here. I want you to stop here. I want you to pause here. Jesus cherishes you. Jesus loves you. Jesus cares about you deeply. Jesus, God the Father, loves you as if you were his own arm. Cares for you, nourishes you as a member of his own body. I don't think we think enough about God's great love for us. I don't think we think enough, period, as North American Christians. I don't think we realize how much God loves us, and because he loves us, he, he wants to transform us into... Uh, people who are so different than the rest of the world. And he does that because he loves us, because his heart for us is that we would have nothing but his, his best. That's God. It's God's heart for you, and that's God's heart for me. But we're part of a consumer Culture, North American culture is, is a bunch of consumers, and so we, we have our favorite sports team, and because we have our favorite sports team, and we bought money, uh, paid money for tickets to go watch them a couple of times in the year, we think we have a right to criticize uh, the players and criticize the coach and criticize the management because we're consumers, and consumers have the right to do that. We take the consumerism attitude into when we buy a DVD or we purchase something off of iTunes and we think we have the right to criticize the chord progressions and the nasally voice of the singer because we paid for it. And we bring that exact same spirit into the church and it wrecks the church. We lose sight of the fact that we're members of his body. And Jesus deeply cares for us and nourishes us and loves us. This is a love thing. This is a love relationship. This is a relationship where Jesus has given everything for us. And we turn it into something we analyze, make comments about. 
Horton uh, wrote in his, uh, his book, Made in America, Shaping, the, Shaping of Modern American Evangelicalism. In consumer religion, Christianity becomes trivialized. Its great mysteries become cheap slogans. Its majestic hymns are traded in for shallow jingles. Its parishioners are now unashamedly called audiences. And they have come to expect dazzling testimonies, happy anecdotes, and fail-proof schemes for successful living that will satiate spiritual consumption. And it all becomes consumer-driven and keeping the consumers happy. And we lose sight of the fact that we are part of Jesus' body. And he loves us, nourishes us, and deeply cherishes us. We are a group of cherished people today. We ought to rest in, in that great, deep love he has for us. And because he loves us, he doesn't want to leave us where we're at. He says, don't be conformed to the world, but be ye transformed. He wants to make us different. And so we've been in Romans chapter 12, and, and last week we looked at uh, blessed are ye, or bless those who persecute you, bless and curse not. And we don't like that verse. First of all, we don't like that verse because we didn't buy into buying into something that uh, might mean we might get persecuted once in a while. We didn't buy into something where Jesus' words are actually taken seriously because you follow me, people are going to hate you. We bought into some flowery beds of ease where everything will always be wonderful. Persecuted. No way. That's not the Christianity I signed up for, is if you've got a choice of what kind of Christianity you can have. And then the radical idea that when we get persecuted and people find fault with how we lead, how we serve, how we live, we have the right to talk back and curse them, wish bad upon them, say bad things about them. My heart is full this morning, forgive me. So I was in prayer Friday afternoon and thinking about this portion and, and thinking about how different God wants us to be as Christians. And I heard the gentle voice of the Holy Spirit say to me, chart it out. Chart it out. So I took a piece of paper and I charted it out. <laughs> and here's what I discovered about Romans chapter 12 and what, what God expects from, from us. Right living requires right thinking. And Romans chapter 12, verse 2 says we're not to be conformed, but we're to be transformed. Romans chapter 12 and verse 3 says we're not characterized by pride, but we're characterized by humility. Anytime you think you're smarter than the rest of the church, you're off base. We're characterized by humility. That's what a transformed mind looks like. Romans chapter 12 Verses 4 to 6, 4 to 8, sorry. Not sure if we can get this monitor working or not. If we can't, that's fine. The world is characterized by an autonomous spirit. Everybody thinks they have the right to do what they want. They get to decide what they want. I'm in charge. We're going to do it my way. It's the spirit of the world. It's autonomous. 
But in the body of Christ, we recognize we are members. Members of the body of Christ. It's about membership. We are connected to one another. We are deeply connected to one another. Membership. Uh, Romans chapter 12, verse number 9. Conformed thinking is full of fake love. Transformed thinking is full of genuine love. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 9 again. I think... PowerPoint, please. Romans chapter 12, verse 9. Uh, they tolerate evil. But the transformed mind hates evil and embraces good. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 10 has limited or no family devotion. And I'm not talking about sitting around your dining room table and reading some scriptures and praying together. I'm talking about this deep devotion to one another. And Paul in Romans chapter 12 is not describing family as your spouse and your sons and daughters. He's describing family as the fact that the person who's down the row from you this morning, down the aisle from you, is your brother, it's your sister. And there's this deep devotion to one another. And you are deeply committed to them, come hell or high water. Deeply committed, fully devoted. You've got a transformed mind. There's this tender devotion to family. And just like you will stick with your sons and daughters no matter what, you're determined to stick with your brothers and sisters in the body of Christ no matter what. Because you are members and as christ nourishes and cherishes and loves the church we nourish and cherish one another romans chapter 12 and verse number 10 disrespectful conform thinking transform thinking thinking outdoes others in showing love romans chapter 12 verse 11 Conformed thinking is sloppy and lazy. I'll just do the very least I can do at work to keep my job. That position I volunteered for at church, uh, you probably should be given a good two hours of that a week to it, but I think if I could just give 40 minutes, we'll be able to limp by. The sloppiness, the laziness in conformed thinking in the world but transformed thinking is, is diligent. Romans chapter 12 and verse number 11. Conformed thinking is dull and half-hearted, but if you're transformed, there's a fervency in your spirit, there's a fire in your soul, there's an excitement about the kingdom of God, there's an excitement about what Jesus has done in your heart and your life. The fervency of spirit. Romans 12, 11, a lot of these are related. Minimal effort. The transformed mind is enthusiastically serving the Lord. Your feet hit the bed in the morning, hit the floor in the morning, hit the bed in the morning. Your feet hit the floor in the morning and you say, thank you, Jesus. Here's another day to live for you and serve you. Hallelujah. Romans chapter 12 and verse 12. Conformed mind is discouraged and hopeless. Uh, there's no hope. But the transformed mind knows the goodness of God and they're rejoicing in hope. Romans chapter 12 and verse 12. Conformed mind gives up in difficult times. And the transformed mind says, things may be getting a bit tough here, but I'm just going to increase my effort. I'm going to increase my commitment. I'm not going to give up. I'm going to see this thing through to victory. I'm going to stand on the promise that God spoke into my life a year ago, two years ago, three years ago. I don't care how things look on the outside. I know what God said to me back then, and I am not giving up. Amen. Conformed thinking quits. Transforming thinking does not give up because it's not going as simple as they thought it would go. 
Romans 12, verse 12, from this sobering. Conformed thinking has no or minimal interest in prayer. Transformed thinking is deeply devoted to, to prayer. Romans chapter 12 and verse 13, not interested in helping other Christians. Transformed mind is happy to contribute to need to the other Christians. Romans chapter 12, verses 13, their windows and doors are locked tight. But Romans chapter 12, verse 13, in the transformed mind, we're practicing hospitality. This is one of the areas where the enemy has got a hold of the church probably more than any other. Our homes used to be open to one another. And now we go like this when the doorbell rings. Romans chapter 12, in verse number 14, the uh, conformed mind finds it really easy to curse others. The transformed mind blesses others. It's quite the list. And I'd like to rush on here. But I believe the Lord would have a stop for a minute. I think we need to look at that list. And make where you are right now a place of, of thinking and allowing the Spirit of God to speak into your heart. And I want you to go down that middle column, the conform column, and say, Lord, which one of those is the biggest problem in my life? You don't have to tell the person you're sitting beside. This is just you and God. And then would you pray a little quiet prayer and ask him to move you to the transform column. Prayerful time of thought here, please. So, Father, help us. Renew our minds, transform our lives, change the way we think and live. In Jesus' name. And so today we move on to the next instruction of what transformed thinking looks like. And we read these words in Romans chapter 12 and verse number 16. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. And I read that early in the week, and, and the first thing I noticed was three specific words, mind, mind, and wise. Again, Paul is coming back to our thinking. You can't live right if you don't think right. 
And so he zeroes in on the renewal of the mind. He says, mind, mind, wise. And the second thing I noticed in these verses is, is the contrast between pride and humility. And I went through a few versions this week to look at the words that various translations of Scripture use to describe pride. English Standard Version uses haughty. It uses wise in our own sight. Amplified Version talks about being conceited, self-important, exclusive. We're going to come back to exclusive a bit as we work through this teaching this morning. The proud person is exclusive. We tend to overestimate ourselves when we are proud. Ralph Kiner was a ball player for the Pittsburgh Pirates from 1945 till 1955-56, somewhere in there. When he retired, he became a broadcaster. He's in the Sports Hall of Fame. He's remembered as one of the great home run hitters in all of the history of ball. In uh, 1952, and this was lower than the previous three seasons, but in 1952, he had hit 37 home runs. And at the end of the year, he went up to the owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates, and he said, I want a raise. And the owner said, why, why do you want a raise? He said, well, you should know. I had 37 home runs last year. And the owner of the Pittsburgh Pirates looked at him and said, yes, that's true. But, but we finished in last place and we can finish in last place without you. You may think you're some great hero who's a huge difference maker. But if the team's not doing well, the family's not doing well, we cannot do well without you. Don't overestimate your own importance in things. The proud person as well uh, is too important to serve others. The humble person has learned to live in harmony with one another. As I look, you, you know, you get to a point in your life where you maybe see things more clearly. As I look back at the big picture of my adult life, the big story, the overarching story of my life is God moving me from pride to humility. And I've got a long ways to go still, a long ways to go still. But it's the conformed mind of pride that becomes uh, a pain in homes and at the workplace and in the church. The humble person learns how to live in this way where there's this consistent harmony. Some people have no room for altos and tenors because they're not singing the notes I sing. Grow up. Let God humble you. Secondly, 
associate with the lowly. Be willing to do, I like this, the Passion Translation, willing to do menial tasks. Identify with those who are, are humble-minded. Just before we went to Mexico for our vacation, I finished reading Hudson Taylor's, one of Hudson Taylor's autobiographies. Hudson Taylor uh, was the founder of the China Inland Mission. He was a missionary to China. Uh, went there without any support, without anybody really blessing him going there. And the ministry grew, and there was a point where they were recruiting 100 to 150 missionaries from North America every year to go be missionaries in China. This man made a huge impact on the nation of China. And as the missionary organization grew, the need for funds grew, so he found himself traveling around the world telling the story of China Inland Mission more and more. And he ended up at a large Presbyterian church in Melbourne, Australia, and they had their service, they sang their songs, the choir sang, the scriptures were read. And the pastor got up to introduce Hudson Taylor and went on and on and on and on and ended with this phrase, please welcome to our pulpit today, Hudson Taylor, an illustrious leader. And Hudson Taylor got up behind the pulpit was silent for a moment and said, I am only a little servant serving an illustrious master. Anything we have, friends, any abilities we have, any giftings we have. We only have them because he gave them to us. All the glory goes to him. I love J.I. Packer. I wish I'd been more familiar with him uh, 20 years ago wrote an article in Christianity Today, 1992, a long time ago. And he said, the focus of health in the soul is humility, while the root of inward corruption is pride. Hmm. How do you stay healthy as a person? You pursue humility. And how do things get corrupted in our lives? We begin to overestimate our own importance in things. It's always the root of incorruption. So, where do I go this morning? I said, you want to go further? Yeah, I do. Jonathan Edwards is one of those guys who sticks out in church history. Lived from uh, 1703 to 1758. And one of the sermons he preached on was Seven Sneaky Symptoms of Pride and Conceit. Seven Sneaky Symptoms of Pride and Conceit. And I read them this week, and I said, well, that's better than anything I'll ever be able to come up with. So I'm going to share with you Jonathan Edwards' Seven Sneaky Symptoms of Pride and Conceit. And the first one he, he talks about is fault-finding. This critical spirit is finding fault with others is rooted in pride, deeply rooted in pride. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 19 to 22. 
You're no longer strangers and aliens. You are fellow citizens with the saints, are of God's household, having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the whole building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord. So what does Jesus do when you become a Christian? He brings you in, he nourishes you, he cherishes you, and he begins to build you into this beautiful temple in the Lord. We are the temple. You are the temple individually, collectively. The body of Christ is the temple. We read this in 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 16 and 17. Do you, do you get this? Do you understand this? You are the temple of God. And the Spirit of God dwells in you. If any man destroys the temple of God... God will destroy him, for the temple of God is holy, and that is what you are. Catch this, my friends. Anytime you start to find fault with the temple, we are the temple. Collectively, the collection of individuals is the temple. Anytime we begin to find fault with the temple, and it's like taking a sledgehammer to the temple. We bring destruction to something that God nourishes and cherishes and loves deeply. That doesn't serve us well. It doesn't serve you well. It doesn't serve me well. So fault-finding one of the sneaky symptoms of pride and conceit. The second one is a harsh spirit. I read that and, and I immediately felt the conviction of the Holy Spirit. Donna has a much better husband than she had 43 years ago. I suspect she's thankful. But there are times, and I left her in Martinsville so she wouldn't give testimonies today. <laughs> there are times when I fail to be gentle with her. And my responses to her are a little harsh. and unkind. How can you think that, Dauncey? Anytime we're being harsh with anybody, thinking we're better than them, it is rooted in pride. And it does no good to anyone. <laughs> Third, superficiality. There is uh, something inauthentic, something unreal, something like you feel like you're watching an actor when there's pride. There's a superficiality there. You don't feel like you're with real. Number four, defensiveness. You know why we feel this great need to defend ourselves? Because we really think we're important. And the truth of the matter is, None of us are that important. Five. Oh, 
Yeah, I should share that quote, thank you, from Jonathan Edwards. The humble Christian, the more the world is against him, the more silent and still he will be, unless it's in his prayer closet. You see, when we get in this defending spirit, when we get in this defending spirit, it doesn't bring health to our souls. And it doesn't bring health to those who have to listen to us. Number six, number five, sorry. Insecurity before God. Why is that up there? It's our pride that makes us feel insecure before God. We exalt ourselves above the completed work of Christ. And Jesus looks at you if you have accepted him in your life. He looks at you and he sees the righteousness of Christ. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed your transgressions from you. He looks at you and he nourishes you. He cherishes you. You matter so much to him. You are deeply in love. He is deeply in love with you. And if you allow this sense of condemnation into your heart and you feel insecure because of this or because of that, and that doesn't give us an excuse to live an unholy life, but if you feel insecure in f before him, what you're saying is, it's my works and my goodness that'll impress you instead of the completed work of Jesus Christ. You're exalting yourself above Jesus. And I suggest that's not a real smart place to try to be. Number six, desperation for attention. When I was a young fellow, I had to, when I entered every room, try to figure out what I could do so I could get some attention. I needed people to notice me. When I wasn't feeling noticed, I would ramp it up even another level or two so people would notice me. I think, for the most part, God's banged that out of me. Although some days I still have to put on my plaid pants. This need to be noticed is rooted in, in pride. Christianity is marked by this spirit of lowliness. And the only way for some of you to reach the dreams that are in your heart, the only way for some of you to reach the dreams in your heart is to get to the place where you can honestly say, God, I don't care if I ever get there or if I'm ever noticed. Because God exalts the humble and brings the person with big desires and big plans for themselves where? Down. Number seven. Neglecting others. You see, when we neglect others, it's really rooted in pride. Because what are we saying? We're saying, my time is so important to me, I'm not going to use any of it to help somebody. You're saying, my money matters to me so much that I'm not going to use any of my money to help somebody because I might want to get another pair of plaid pants pretty soon. And we begin to put ourselves above the needs of, of others. We neglect that. When we're neglecting others, it's because of pride in our heart. James talks clearly about the problem of 
that kind of spirit and exclusivity in his book. And well, let me take you there this morning. My brethren, do not hold your faith. In other words, don't have your Christianity in Jesus Christ with an attitude of personal favoritism. If a man comes into your assembly with a gold ring and wearing plaid pants, and there also comes in a poor man in dirty clothes, and you pay special attention to the one who's wearing the plaid pants and say, you sit here in a good place. And you say to the poor man, you stand over there or sit, sit in the back corner, please. Have you not made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil motives? But if you show partiality, you are committing sin and are convicted by the law as transgressors. If you will accept one group of people and will not accept others, if you will open your heart to one type of person and will close your heart to another type of person, what are you doing? You are did you read it up there? What are you doing? You are, are we afraid of that word in this church? We are sinning. We're sinning. The church is this wonderfully exclusive uh, group of, of people. Now, is this on? Is this on? It's on. Do we agree it's on? It's on. Okay. Hey, just stand for a minute. What's your, what's your name? Jennifer. Jennifer. And who do you work for here? Who have you got with us? Um, this is Michelle. Hi, Michelle. And this is Vanden. Brandon? Vanden. Vanden. And where do they live? They live in Vanden's house. Good. Good. And uh, they've been coming to our church with different uh, people for about five or six months. And you know why they keep coming back here? Because they feel welcome. Thank you. That, my friends, oh God, that, my friends, is the way the church is supposed to be. There's no exclusivity. There's no favoritism in the body of Christ. There's no, you get a large place and you get a special place because you've got nicer clothes. You get a nice place on the platform. We'll let you go on the platform because you look like you got your act together. You're good looking, so we'll let you be a greeter. God help us. There's no room for any of that in the body of Christ. Do you hear me? We're of the same mind one towards another. We see everybody exactly the same. And our hearts are open wide to them. Sunday morning, beautiful church. Everything's polished and cleaned. Always is, and the congregation comes on Sunday morning, and 
at the front doors is a man. He's laying right at the front door. He's a vagrant. He's dirty. Clothes are dirty. He's unkept. A lot of people come in and around him to get into the house. One lady stopped and said, where's the pastor? What are we paying him for anyhow? Why is he letting that man sit outside our church and destroy our Sunday worship experience? Many people stopped and stared the vagrant who had slept outside the church. Not one stopped to bend down and ask, is there anything I can do for you, sir? finished singing and the vagrant walked into the church and he walked up to the platform and he threw the blankets aside and took off his coat And the pastor of the church read to the people, I was naked, and you did not clothe me. I was hungry, and you fed me not. I was thirsty, and you gave me nothing to drink. And he picked up his blankets and his jackets. And he walked out of the church having preached a sermon that that congregation never forgot. Pride is a terrible thing. Pride creates discord in homes and churches and organizations. Pride brings an exclusivity into the body of Christ that is never meant to be there. Where arms are held wide open to some and others are held off at a distance. Some are given opportunities and others aren't. Pride has a haughtiness about it that makes home life and married life very, very difficult. And it's not, my friends, it's not, my friends, how Christians live and Christians think. That's how the world lives. That's conformed thinking. God by his spirit comes and he transforms us and he brings us into a deeper and deeper humility. And when we get to that place, the beauty of Jesus shines through us. Would you stand, please? I want us to uh, to turn this sanctuary into a place of personal prayer right now. I want 
where you're standing or where you're sitting to be your altar. And I want us to look at Psalm 100 and I think it's 39. Yeah, search me, O God, and know my heart. Would you let the Holy Spirit search you? And are there areas where you perhaps have been a bit haughty, a bit proud? I preach the loudest to myself today. You've maybe been overestimating your own importance and underestimating what others bring to the table. Would you let the Holy Spirit search your heart today? You see, the way out of pride, the way out of pride is on the pathway of confession. And when we confess our pride, pride begins to die. Would you ask God to change your hearts? Ask God to change your hearts. Alyssa, just play something on the keys only for a moment. Take where you are right now. Take where you are right now. And ask God to examine your heart and show you ways and areas that perhaps there's some pride that you need to deal with. Maybe as you're doing that, you're saying, uh, Pastor, I, it won't be easy for me. I, I'm, I'm, I'm a proud person. But, but I really need prayer for this. And you just want God to come. And, and my prayer is for you that God will take you on a journey of deeper humility. The altar's open. Just come stand and we'll pray for you. enjoyed this teaching from the Neighborhood Church from our Pine House location here in Saskatoon, Saskatchewan. To touch base with us from anywhere in the world that you're listening, or maybe you're just at the gym or in your car, you can text the word Pine House to 306-800-5296. There you can fill out our digital connect card. Or if you want to give it a distance, or maybe you've been working weekends or just can't make it to the city, Text the initials TNC to 705-230-8977. Through that little portal, you can give or tithe or even give to missions. For any more information about The Neighborhood Church, you can check us out online at theneighborhoodchurch.org. God bless you and have a great week.